0: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's
2: 12.03 on Wednesday afternoon, November 29th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. What's billed as the largest and most immersive touring Titanic exhibition is coming to the Chicago area. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, a new report finds more than half of Americans believe the price tag for happiness is $1.2 million. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home. We welcome in Carolyn McClanahan, founder of Life Planning Partners in Jacksonville, Florida. Carolyn, thank you for joining us today. And I know uh, inflation is on the minds of many over the past uh, two years or so, but even in this inflationary environment, uh, a million bucks is still enough to put a smile on your face.
1: Um, well, first off, thanks for having me. But second off, you know, happiness is different for everybody. And, you know, when you when somebody sees a number like I need a million dollars to be happy, that can actually be deflating um, to use your inflation term in a different way. And so to, happiness actually comes from a, a number of different things. First, you do need financial stability. And we break that down into what are the needs versus the wants and to have that, you know, roof over your head, food in your belly, good health care and all that. You need about minimum seventy thousand a year. And once you have that, then everything else is a want and your happiness after that has to come from within. So, you know, and the other things actually affect happiness. Like the number one most important thing is having good relationships.
2: Are people confusing happiness for financial stability, as you mentioned, uh, in this survey? Because remember, a great quote uh, from Chris Rock was uh, talking about his life before Saturday Night Live and after. And he said, before I got SNL, I had to worry about money. After I got SNL, I didn't have to worry about money. And is that what people are talking about when they say money buys happiness? They're not worried about uh, will that paycheck cover everything?
1: Right, exactly. And that's where, you know, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you've got to have a base amount of money to actually just live. And some people, they live very happily. I mean, we we work with clients across all income ranges. We have people who live very nicely and are totally fine on $5,000 a month. And then you have other people that a million dollars a year isn't enough. And so you have to figure out what's important to you about what you're doing with your time and and there's so many studies out there that look at what truly brings happiness and again it's having good relationships and living from a sense of gratitude it, you know just for what you have instead of thinking about what you want and, and living a healthy lifestyle like getting enough sleep and being able to exercise and eat a healthy diet which of course takes a certain amount of money but it doesn't take that million dollars and it doesn't take having a million dollars a year if, if if you need a million dollars a year to be happy, I would suggest spending some of that money on therapy.
2: Well, I was going to say, uh, I'm I'm very willing to uh, jump on that grenade, Carolyn, and, and uh, in the interest <laughs> of science, uh, try to see if, if if I can live on a million dollars a year and uh, if I'm happy afterward. But very quickly, I think that it's interesting you talk about, uh, you know, your happiness is independent of your bank account balance or your stock portfolio balance. And and I, I have three kids at home, and like every parent who is Trying to make 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 life go with three kids. I've got my you know bank account number like memorized, you know, because you're always making sure the budget works. But the one thing that's kind of occurred to me is that you remember the experiences you have with your family. You don't remember your bank account balance as they're happening.
1: Oh, you bring up a really good point. Experience actually brings more happiness than stuff. And so that's where we get when we're counseling people on where they're spending money. The people who need the extra car, the extra house and all that, that really gives just a short-term bump in happiness. It's actually having experiences that never cost you another dime that bring more long-lasting happiness. Daniel Kahneman did that study on that. And so that's why we encourage people to live, to spend more money on experience and discourage them from buying more stuff.
2: Carolyn McClanahan, founder of Life Planning Partners in Jacksonville, Florida. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, bringing the story of the Titanic to a suburban mall. The
0: WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
2: A touring exhibition featuring the story of the ill-fated Titanic is coming to the Westfield Old Orchard Mall in Skokie this February. Let's learn what it's all about from Tom Zoller, president and CEO of Imagine Exhibitions. Tom, thank you for joining us today. And from one Titanic geek to another, Another Tom, let me say welcome, welcome to the program. Because uh, when, when they sent this, when they sent this to me today, uh, saying that the show was coming to uh, Old Orchard, I said, uh, why, why, why me? I mean, <laughs> I'm the, I'm the only person on the staff who can tell you the exact location of the, uh, the dining saloon, the difference between the dining saloon and the restaurant, the restaurant and the Cafe Parisien. So I'm that level of, of, of Titanic geek. So chances are, Tom, I'll be first in line when this thing comes to Old Orchard in February.
3: I like it. I'd love you to be first of buy. Rob would be great. And uh, I, I assume you have you been to a Titanic exhibition before?
2: Uh, I have not been to a Titanic. Oddly enough, I have not. I've not gone to the place in in Branson, uh-huh. Missouri, and I've not been to the one in Tennessee. And uh, on my bucket list, of is course, it. is going to uh, uh, to to Harlan and Wolf in in Belfast, where they actually built yeah. the liner and where the Nomadic uh, is 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 on a yeah. static display. But uh, that's oh, that, yeah. that's enough of the rivet counting discussion between you and me. Tom, uh, before we talk. about about the details of the exhibition, though. You have been to the wreck. You went down there uh, in the 90s with the in, the in the Russian Mir submersibles.
3: Yep, actually, August of 2000, I dove the ship, and it was, uh, you know, profound. It was, uh, uh, well, first of all, I survived, which is good. My wife was a little worried about going that deep. You know, the, the submarine, uh, the, the wreck of the Titanic is at 12,500 feet under the surface of the ocean. So it's it's deep. And obviously, last year, uh, you know, as we're all aware of the tragedy that took place uh, with the submersible implosion, um, it is top of mind. But uh, it is a it is a very I know, very powerful journey, and I think it's it's kept the spark alive for me to share the story of Titanic with people all over the world. I've been doing Titanic exhibitions for you know over 25 years, and I started actually my first big Titanic exhibition was at the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago. in in the year 2000, the same year I dove uh, and over 860,000 people came to see that show. So I think Chicago has a special place in its, in its heart for, um, for Titanic. And I hope that this exhibition, which is going to be fabulous and is a a new version, a bigger version, different version uh, that, that still tells the story of Titanic um, when it opens in February, old orchard will be um, as, well, I, I don't know. My, I, my, my hopes aren't that high that we'll do 860,000 people, but I think it's the next generation, right? It's the, the, the parents, you know, the kids who went there with school groups who fell in love with the Titanic story are now going to take their kids to this experience. So maybe we'll have this multi-generational family coming through of grandparents and parents and kids. I know you'll be there. Yes. <laughs> um, and,
2: uh, you know. Well, it, the, the way this experience works is that uh, you receive a ticket, and then you will go through this exhibition um, with a passenger or crew member name assigned to you, and then you see all of the artifacts. And what are some of the artifacts that are on display?
3: yeah a lot of the, a lot of the, the objects on display are actually from the the sister ship Olympic uh, which was built exactly you you of all people know that the Olympic and the Titanic were built next to each other at the Harlan and wolf shipyards and so Harlan and Wolf and White Star Lines just the company behind it they made you know everything twice, basically, and you know in some cases three times because they were originally going to build the Olympic, the Titanic, and the Gigantic, which later became the Britannic after the Titanic sinking. But um, so we have a lot of great original objects. Uh, we have some from the Titanic from survivors who um, who were uh, who who survived <laughs> and who brought things back. But most of the things are are. are things that you couldn't find because they would have deteriorated from the bottom of the ocean if it weren't for the Olympics. So um, so we have all these objects, and then you have, you're have set in these environments where we've recreated the first-class cabin, the first-class hallway, the third-class hallway, the third-class cabin, the grand staircase, um, the promenade deck, the um, the boiler room, all of these amazing interiors uh, that, that that make the Titanic so memorable and so many people remember from the Cameron film. We also do have a section on, on movie memorabilia as well. So we have things from the, the Cameron film as well, uh, Titanic. So it, it's really, a, it's, a, it, it's very immersive. You feel like you're on board the ship. You feel like you're walking through the ship and you're hearing the stories of these people and you get this boarding car that you mentioned and you will become a passenger. And one of the things that's really powerful is uh, at the end of the exhibition, there's a wall of names and it's divided between those who survived and those who were lost. And you'll see your name and you'll be there with your, you know, your, your date or your children or your grandparents. And, you not know, say you're first class female. Pretty good chance you survive. But if you're a crew member or some of your group is a crew member or third class, pretty good chance you didn't survive. And so that's a really powerful moment that, um, you know, in storytelling th- that just grabs you and and connects you to this amazing story.
2: And this is coming to Westfield Old Orchard Mall in Skokie in February. Tom Zoller, president and CEO of Imagine Exhibitions. Uh, I'll be first in line, as I said. Coming up next, a look at the holiday movie box office, plus a rare Disney disappointment. Money talks as the WBBM noon business hour continues. The movie Trolls Band Together conquers the family holiday box office nearing the half billion dollar mark, surpassing Disney's wish. Let's update What's Hot and What's Not from Hollywood with Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for the box office tracking company Comscore based in Los Angeles. Paul, thank you for joining us today. And uh, I was part of that uh, half-billion-dollar mark for uh, Trolls on Thanksgiving evening uh, with uh, the three heart girls in tow. And the thing that really struck me, it doesn't surprise me at all. It's doing as well as it is because I have not seen the first two Trolls movies, in a a completed sequence uh, in one sitting. I've probably seen it here and there as they've been watching the other two movies over the course of the last couple of years. And the design palette of the Trolls movies, I want to say is just almost designed in a lab to appeal to girls between the ages of 5 and 10.
4: And it's brilliant because those films, Rob, they have done so well. They're so well-branded. And You know, the music, the characters, the color palette, the way it's presented, really, I mean, look, that movie in its second weekend beat out uh, a lot of other movies and is hanging in there really strongly. And, you know, it created a lot of competition for the new Disney animated film Wish, which, you know, underperformed a bit compared to other Disney movies that have opened over the Thanksgiving holiday and Hunger Games Led the charge in its second weekend, Napoleon opened bigger than wish. So there you go, a pretty crazy marketplace out there. Now,
2: Trolls 2 was supposed to be released in March of 2020. It was moved to streaming and DVD immediately because of the COVID shutdowns. Could that have potentially provided a boost to Trolls 3 because you had this captive audience, these kids who watched it on streaming and on DVD over and over and over again, and it turned them into Trolls fans?
4: Totally. I mean, I I think you just nailed it right there, Rob. That was one of the very first movies that was intended for a theatrical release that then moved to the streaming platforms due to COVID. And at the time, the studio Universal and DreamWorks, they took a lot of heat, particularly Universal, for leaving the theatrical marketplace. But they had to. They had no choice. No one knew how long the pandemic was going to last. But I think you're right. I think that Trolls World Tour, try and say that three times fast, that was the (laughs) movie in 2020 that I think you're right. I think it rather than diminishing the appeal of the film in terms of a theatrical release, just built an audience And that baked in branding for trolls, I think, made it a more appealing option for families rather than brand new, you know, the brand new movie Wish. Also an animated family film.
2: And then very quickly on the Wish front, um, people brought up the, the the case of Encanto, which was kind of a a box office disappointment compared to expectations several years ago. But it became yeah. a massive movie thanks to its soundtrack. So is there anything inside of Wish that could potentially propel it, yeah. uh, give it a second life on video and on streaming?
4: Well, that's a great question because, you know, we're going into the very, the heart of the holiday movie going season is December coming off of Thanksgiving. So for Wish, this is going to be a movie I think over time will build an audience. That happened with Elemental over the summer that opened in the sub-30 million range, went on to earn over $470 million worldwide. It ain't over for Wish. I think this movie can also certainly do quite well on Disney+. Plus. So it, it's not over for Wish. I think uh, I wouldn't write that one off, but at a $31.6 million five-day gross, that was definitely on the low side for a Disney animated film at Thanksgiving.
2: Paul DeGarabidi, and thanks for joining us today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn,
0: you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
0: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
5: Plan savings with three lines of T Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
0: This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM noon business hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories
2: on news radio WBBM. Work begins on a controversial migrant tent camp in Chicago. Diplomatic efforts continue to extend a pause in the war between Israel and Hamas. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, exploring investment opportunities outside of your 401k. And McDonald's latest happy meal is aimed at an adult audience. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 135 points, NASDAQ up 24, S&P 500 up 12, 37 degrees right now under sunny skies at 1231, topping our news at the half hour. Work is now underway in a migrant tent camp in the southwest side Brighton Park neighborhood. Crews at the property at 38th and California are laying out materials and putting up framing. Residents of the neighborhood have gathered at the site to protest construction of the facility. Intense diplomatic efforts are underway in an effort to continue the ceasefire between Hamas and Israel. CBS News contributor Robert Berger is in Jerusalem.
0: There's optimism about the truce being extended by a few more days under the formula of 10 Israeli hostages released per day in exchange for 30 Palestinian prisoners. And as we speak, there are negotiations continuing in Qatar with the head of the CIA, the head of Israel's Mossad spy agency, and their counterparts from Qatar and Egypt, the current truce is in its
2: final day. It's twelve thirty-one as the noon business hour continues. Markets are gaining ground. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home, is Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at MacroTides.com, based in San Diego. Jim, thank you for joining us today. Uh, after a bit of a up yesterday, Jim, it looks like uh, the November rally is back on. And uh, the it seems like a the, that Santa Claus rally that usually happens in December is uh, most certainly on the table.
6: Uh, it certainly is. And in you know, the last decade or so, uh, Rob, it has begun earlier and earlier in terms of the Santa Claus rally kicking off in November. So people, or I should say, Wall Street believes that there won't be a recession, and yet the Fed is expected to cut the funds rate four or five times next year, starting in May. Those two concepts, in my opinion, don't compute, Rob. So I think the rally is nearing a short-term high. We're likely to see a pullback and then another push higher as we get into early next year. But if I'm right, that Wall Street has kind of misread uh, where the Fed is at, I think you know the f- first uh, quarter of next year could prove to be somewhat challenging.
2: Well, if, if the markets were a person, I would say <laughs> I understand your enthusiasm because it does look like uh, the Fed has pulled off the soft landing. But uh, we've been in this situation before where uh, there are rallies and under kind of predicated on this idea that the Fed will eventually cut interest rates. And even though that uh, date keeps getting pushed out into the future uh then disappointment sets in because it doesn't happen so uh where where are markets right now in terms of 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 in your mind you know the odds of them being correct in in that that the fed will start cutting interest rates maybe as early as spring of next year
6: i think the markets are dead wrong it's that simple and in this week's weekly technical review I laid out an analysis of Chair Powell's comments, both on November 1st and November 9th, where he pretty refuted some of the ideas that Wall Street has. Any listener would like to receive a free copy of that letter, Jim Welsh Macro at Gmail. And I'll, I'll send that to him, Rob. I, I just think it just doesn't compute. Historically, the Fed hasn't cut rates with inflation above 2.7% and the unemployment rate below 5%. So right now the unemployment rate is 39 inflation's inflation is around 4%. So you go back the last 40, 50 years, that has never happened. So history suggests, and there are a lot of other reasons we don't have time to discuss, why it's very unlikely the Fed will be cutting rates. The one reason why they will is I think the economy is still set up for a very significant slowing in the first half of next year, and, of course, once that becomes more obvious, the Fed is going to respond to that. But the market has rallied based on the idea of no recession. And I think if I'm right and the economy shows the slowing that I expect, the, the Wall Street's not going to be happy with the idea of being wrong, that earnings aren't going to be up 12% next year. They may not go up at all. So I think that's going to be the real a test as we get into the first few months of next year,
2: and that's an interesting call given how uh, the 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 re uh, you know the the revised uh, third quarter uh, GDP number was actually stronger than the one we saw a couple of weeks ago.
6: Yeah, it was, and a lot of it's driven by consumer spending. But we're seeing more and more signs of stress building on consumers in terms of delinquency rates for auto credit card loans, um, I, I just think there's a, the lag time of the yield curve inversion historically over the last 50 years is 19 months. That 19-month window is in January. So there's a lot of reasons why I think the 500 basis point increase in the funds rate and the other point would be bank lending standards have increased more than any time in the last 40 years. So those are the reasons why I think they're just starting to bear down on the economy And I think it'll become more pronounced in the first half of next year.
2: Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager, MacroTides.com in San Diego. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, investing for retirement beyond the basic 401k. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday. In this segment, we're discussing ways to build wealth for the future in ways other than a 401k account. We welcome in Matt Matt CEO, Blue World Asset Managers in Chicago, and you can find his blog at blueworldam.com. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Of course, uh, the the 401k account or a 403b are the most uh, common uh, forms of uh, saving and investing for your retirement, but there are some things you can do above and beyond that, and uh, what are some good ways to get started?
7: Yeah, and in fact, I think there are other ways you should be uh, looking at it. It's a really common uh, attitude that I run into, where I'll ask people, you know, what they're doing for investing and and saving, and oftentimes they, well, I'm covered. I have my 401k. Well, there are so many other good avenues out there to be leveraging uh, beyond the IRA, and the 401k is just like an IRA except that one you do individually and the other your employer helps you out with. Uh, but when you're, when you're invested in those things, typically you have very limited flexibility and little to no input on what those things are invested in or when you can withdraw money and, and all of that. So we always advocate that you also have a brokerage account, a separate brokerage account, whether it's online or or with a financial advisor. But something that you can set aside money every month to add to it and then be able to invest it the way you want to. And it doesn't need to be high maintenance, even if it's just some good mutual funds or ETFs are long-term gold as far as we're concerned. So to limit yourself just to a 401K is really kind of putting the financial handcuffs on yourself long-term.
2: And then when it comes to uh, opening that brokerage account, uh, what are some of the things to watch out for as far as fees are concerned? I mean, what, what, what's, what's an excessive amount of fees? What's the wrong, what are some of the wrong fees, the red flag fees to look out for?
7: Well, we typically, when we're looking at the individual funds, it's very, very easy to compare the cost associated with being in the fund as a percent of of the assets involved so we always advocate to shop for the best deal and with the online resources that's always a really really easy thing to do these days and and that of course was not always the case
2: and then uh, it's a term that, that that gets brought up an awful lot uh, on this show, and you may, as a listener, uh, uh, need a little bit of a definition or some some help in, in trying to figure this out. But understanding dollar cost averaging um, w- w- when you're when you're investing above and beyond your retirement account.
7: Yeah, dollar cost averaging is a very very powerful tool and loosely similar to the idea of buy the dips, dollar cost averaging means you, you, you make your very first purchase at a particular dollar amount, and then if the asset drops in value, you buy a little bit more, and you lower your average cost for that asset. If the asset goes the other direction, Eventually, you're going to get a dip in that asset, which is another opportunity. Now, sometimes the dollar cost average goes up, sometimes it goes down, but in the meantime, you are always acquiring ever-increasing amounts of the asset.
2: And then, very quickly, we talked about uh, getting into an ETF or maybe an index fund. But also, uh, you you should not shy away from investing in individual stocks. But uh, if if you're trying to find like a ballpark rate of return, uh, what's a good investment uh, as from as far as individual stocks are concerned uh, versus funds or ETFs? I mean, what what are you looking for to know that you're actually on the right path?
7: Uh well, start with what's acceptable to you. Uh, with the opportunities available today, what we target uh, – and, and we have a pretty broad mix. The reason, the reason we talk about ETFs and index funds, not everybody has the time to go in and do this all day, every day, right? So if you can make a better return over the course of time, pick your number, 6, eight, ten, whatever you're looking for in terms of a percent – you're on the right track if you're hitting it. If not, you have so many other options to jettison the ones that aren't performing and give somebody else a chance.
2: Matt Mattegan, CEO, Blue World Asset Managers in Chicago. Thank you for joining us on this Personal Finance Wednesday.
0: Because money matters. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
2: Following the success of its first adult Happy Meal, McDonald's is introducing a second version. Let's discuss the strategy with R.J. Hadevi, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI in Chicago. R.J., thank you for joining us today. And it seems like this is a combination of past and future, or I should say past and present, because it's past. It's, it contains some classic uh, McDonaldland characters from when we were kids, but it gets into the world of online influence. N-Series as well.
5: Yeah, you're exactly right, Rob. It's a, it's a good mix of nostalgia, uh, some of the classic characters, uh, as well as you know some of the current uh, you know design and streetwear uh, companies as well. McDonald's had a home run last year with their adult Happy Meal. Uh, our data suggests that you know that that Happy Meal promotion itself grows the entire quick service restaurant category visits by six percentage points in the month of October alone. Uh, so very influential, very successful, and uh, I think they're looking to strike gold here again. And
2: uh, the one thing that made it successful, too, above and beyond the nostalgia and above and beyond its relationship with, uh, with brands and celebrity creators, is that there was a collector component to it as well. And there, there's a big collector's market for these types of things. So that probably drove uh, uh, business as much as just the power of nostalgia did.
5: Yeah, I think you're right, and it's one of the trends that we've seen. If we look back at 2023, I think there's going to be two themes that we remember. Above all, one is certainly value, and you know, McDonald's obviously being a quick service restaurant does cater to that. Um, but the other is kind of scarcity or unique products. We've shown that consumers are are willing to pay up uh, for something unique. Maybe they're they're gonna uh, you know take a step back from things that are more you, your routine and you're not something that unique but we're seeing a real market for, for, for these type of products and it's across not just you know restaurants it's across a lot of categories too This the scarcity play I mean for example we've seen Hello Kitty trucks park at a lot of local malls and the traffic that they drive so I think that you're exactly right the scarcity play that you're getting something unique and you know something that collectors are looking for not just collectors but everyday consumers uh, are products that they can tell stories around I think that there's certainly a theme we've seen throughout this year
2: No. RJ, uh, I could be very wrong on this, but it seems like McDonald's is the only fast food brand that does have this rich universe of characters associated with it. And yes, it was part of marketing in the 70s and 80s, but did anybody imagine then that uh, it would be used to drive business in 2023?
5: <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I think we're seeing a lot of surprises in the way nostalgia has come back in a lot of these chains' marketing efforts this year. It's been interesting to see. Uh, we have seen some groups that up to copy McDonald's famous meals and start to collaborate with celebrities on different partnerships and stuff. But I don't think any other QSR chain really has the same kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the deep bench of uh, potential characters they could use in, in nostalgia plays right now, so that gives McDonald's a, a, a nice leg up. Now I'm sure some of the other uh, that we do see it a little bit in the CPG category, the consumer product goods category, where we do see uh, some nostalgia plays and some reemergence of uh, long forgotten uh, you know mascots and, and characters. Um, but I, I think McDonald's is certainly uh, you know a couple steps above in the quick restaurant space.
2: I mean, RJ, the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head right now is uh, uh, Baskin Robbins. Doing- doing the 1980s rebrand uh, in association with stranger things but that's the closest thing out there. RJ Hadevy. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty amazing. RJ Hadevy, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI in Chicago. Thank you for joining us
0: today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours